You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 82 of the Let's Talk Apple podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchotts, and this is the show for June 2020. I am joined today by a wonderful panel from the opposite side of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, first off, from the Mac Admins podcast, I have Charles Edge back with us. Hi, Charles. Hey, how you doing? I am doing just fine. Having, having you guys been so kind as to give me five minutes to dry off after an extremely heavy summer shower, um, I'm doing fine again. Uh, also... <laughs> yeah, well, look, it's green for a reason, right? We we don't get to keep this green <laughs> without a little bit of sacrifice, and that sacrifice is rain. Also with us, we have Scott Wilsey back for the first time in a while. Scott, great to hear you again. Hi, Bart. I live in Oregon, and we have the same type of rapidly changing weather as you on this side of the state. So if I didn't, if I didn't let you have those five minutes, I wouldn't be much of a, a human being at all. Oh, well, thank you. And you know that sometime when you're on in future, it'll be you who needs the five minutes. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Indeed. Okay, well, we have an extremely full month of Apple News to digest. June is definitely not the summer silly season when nothing happens. June is the opposite of the summer silly season when nothing happens. So before we get into our new stories for the month, just some follow-ups on some stuff we've talked about in previous episodes. Um, Last time we talked about a new jailbreak that was just doing the rounds called Uncover, and we all predicted on the panel that Apple would patch it mighty quickly. Well, I think it was three days after I published the show that Apple did indeed patch it mighty quickly iOS 15.5 put an end to the jailbreaking, and Apple actually stopped signing that version So you couldn't even downgrade. Also, a whole bunch more slow and steady Apple Card improvements. Um, A long-running criticism from a lot of people was that the only way to manage your Apple Card was through the wallet app. You couldn't do it on a web page. If you lost your phone, you couldn't cancel your card. Just it's just awkward, uh, and that has now been addressed with a nice web portal for Apple Card customers. If only they would let Irish people become such things. But anyway. I'll keep using the wallet app. It's so easy. It's not even funny. <laughs> I mean, if you have your phone, I'm sure it's wonderful, but I guess th- there may be times when you don't, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I-, I think it's good to have. Um, also, interest-free financing on Macs and iPads, Charles, next time you fancy upgrading. And... For people in an eligible country, which is only the United States of America, there is now some help from Apple to get you approved if you've been rejected before. So it's called Path to Apple Card. And they basically work through why it is that Goldman Sachs rejected you and help you to get your credit rating such that you can get accepted. And uh, you also get $50 when you pay for an Apple service with your new Apple Card if you're a new Apple Card customer. So, again, slow and steady improvements, nothing earth-shattering. Also, an ongoing story that never ends, the US government's attack on encryption continues. The Senate Judiciary Committee passed the EARNIT Act, which pretends not to be about um, encryption and stuff, but everyone can read between the lines, it very clearly is. And then there's the... 
an actual law in the Senate that is flat out outlying, outlying encryption and that unfortunately is making its way through the process. It's just a proposal at the moment, hasn't passed committee or been voted on, but it has nonetheless been introduced. So another one to keep an eye on. You know, since the Navy was the ones who wrote Tor, does that mean they have to defund the Navy if they pass that? Oh, that would never be mind. so wonderful. That would be so <laughs> too wonderful. Soon. Too soon. <laughs> no, it never ceases to amaze me that, it, it, like, a lot of the people speaking out most vociferously against this encryption banning are people like former heads of the CIA and former FBI directors and former head of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, you know, generals and admirals and all these senior people who understand that encryption is vital to US security interest. But I don't know. It briefly won Lindsey Graham. (laughs) Well, everything wins him, but, you know. (laughs) I had so much respect for him for that brief time when he said that, you know, the generals briefed him and he changed his mind and he was now against banning encryption. And then there was a change in administration and like a weather vane, he spun around 180 degrees and all of my respect evaporated. Anyway. Yeah. Um... Last time we were recording, we really were at the height of the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, and after we recorded, that continued to make news for another another while. Um, so in the early days of June, we had news that Apple and Google had updated their voice assistants um, to answer queries about the rather controversial All Lives Matter. Um, I think the the general consensus was that Siri was factually accurate, but Google actually did a better job of explaining why it's a loaded term, because it obviously sounds innocent, uh, but isn't. Um, and that was it's good of Apple, I guess, to do. Um, they also announced $100 million for a racial equality and justice initiative. And uh, they offered a bunch of free content, actually, to celebrate Juneteenth, including The Banker, um, which reminds me I must watch The Banker. Uh, It seems like an amazing movie. They were also very quick to update Apple Maps with Black Lives Matter Plaza and the street art. Um, So the name on the map and also the imagery in the satellite view. And in Scotland, they renamed their one of their stores uh, because it was named after a slave owner. Um, so I think it's now just called Glasgow instead of Cal Cannon Street or Cannon Street or something like that. Um, so you know, it's interesting that the, the this time the Black Lives Matter has has crossed the pond to have an effect around around the world. Yeah, and now that the protests have mostly died down, I'm quite proud of Apple for, while it's not quite as attention-grabbing in the headlines, continuing to 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 make efforts there. Yeah, and it was actually, I probably should dig it up and put it in the show notes, but there was a nice video released as part of WWDC where Apple's head of environment and, uh, was it social engagement or something, Lisa Jackson interviewed a former, um, oh, Attorney General, um, yeah, why does the name escape me the moment I go to try to remember it? Uh, President Obama's really long-serving, first ever black... Oh, Condoleezza Rice? No, no. Um, okay. ended up, it was, oh, that's so annoying now. Everyone is shouting at the right pod. I'm sorry. I wish I wasn't so forgetful. We'll come back to it. <laughs> yeah, I, as I said, I'll update the show notes. Let's talk.ie. Oh, um, and then I'll be... 
Eric Holder, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, there's a 22-minute interview, and it was actually very good. Um, now, of course, they were colleagues, Lisa Jackson and Eric Holder, because they were both members of the Obama administration, but it was a very good interview. So, let us address the elephant in the room, the COVID virus. Um, continuing... COVID virus, Bert. Pardon? I said, what COVID virus? Isn't this time for us all to reopen? La, 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 Speaking, yeah, we'll get back to reopening in just a moment. Um, Apple have updated... Um, why does it say Apple Card's COVID-19 app in my show notes? That seems completely nuts. Sorry, I'm hoping you can't hear my phone. I forgot to end my workout. Apparently. Map my ride thinks I've managed to continue cycling. Which is interesting. That's like sit here podcasting. Um, free calories. Yeah, free calories indeed. Well, I don't actually count them from map my ride. I just want the map. Um, I did stop my watch. So Apple have updated their app. Uh, oh, no. Okay, I should read my own show notes properly. I I can't read out loud. So Apple Card COVID-19 Customer Assistance Program extended through July. That's what I was trying to say very badly. Uh, and then someone mentioned opening everything up. An extremely mixed bag in that regard around the world. So in the UAE, Apple is succeeding in reopening stores. In the UK, Apple is succeeding in reopening stores. In America, in the United States and Canada, Apple did, at the start of the month, succeed in reopening 70 stores. And then it didn't. Uh, then it began reclosing US retail stores. A few at first, and then more, and more, and more. They also managed to reopen some stores in Singapore and Canada, while also already reclosing some in the US. And I have a feeling this is going to just be a trend. Like, oh, stores will reopen for a bit and close back down for a bit. And as as these spikes continue to move around, you know? Yeah, I just, I, I think nationwide spikes, I'm not expecting to see globally. I'm expecting more like what we see in Germany and the UK, where it's a city or something, you know, like in Germany had an outbreak in one meatpacking plant and they put local quarantine. England has one city under lockdown at the moment. I don't know of any other country that's mishandling it quite as badly as yours, I'm afraid to say. Yeah, but we are you too. got under- <laughs> to understand the, the different governors have different motives for either trying to reopen or not reopen. And it's quite partisan. And yeah, that's I, why you'll see partisan breakouts, I guess. It's so depressing that even a global pandemic cannot break the horrific partisanship in U.S. politics at the moment. Like, Yeah. You know, here in Ireland, we managed to form a government for the two parties who refused to ever work together because they were on the opposite sides of our civil war and they're now in government together, <laughs> um, which does seem a slightly more positive way of going about it. The other thing I have noticed here, though, Bart, is there's a nonpartisan tendency for everyone to be sick and tired of this thing. And people are going out as soon as the weather turned nice here for a little while. People were out. They weren't wearing masks. Now we have... Now, where I live, we have to wear them when we go out in public or for sure when we go into stores and stuff. But people just didn't, people were just over it. And that's, you know, there's different 
cultures talking about different levels of social discipline and aiming, you know, taking shots at the U.S. But to some extent, I think some of that is true. We don't have a high level of discipline for things that we think infringe upon our personal liberties. And you're right that it's human nature too, right? I mean, it would be wonderful to just not bother. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. the virus doesn't think like that. It doesn't think at all, really. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Ireland has its own issues because we do not understand masks. It does not compute over here. It's it's not something that we have any history of. We didn't have SARS. We didn't have MERS. It does not compute. And we're, we're very, very slowly learning, but I fear we may have a few spikes ourselves before we quite get the message. Uh, also in COVID news, um, Apple have updated their COVID-19 app and website to allow um, users, this is a US only app, by the way, um, to input symptom information, which will help the CDC anonymously track the outbreak, uh, even for people who aren't formally tested. Um, and then we come to the story of the apps. And this, like the store openings, is a very mixed bag. So on the one hand, we have successful rollout of apps using the Google Apple API. So the Swiss Parliament allowed their app to roll out. The Germans released their app. The Canadians are on their way to releasing their app, all going very smoothly. And then you have the inverse, where you have countries who are refusing to use the Google Apple API. So Singapore's app isn't working because it doesn't work on iOS because it isn't using the API. Critical flaw discovered in Australia's app. The critical flaw being it doesn't work because they're not using the API. The UK, having for some reason felt the need to test the fact that it wouldn't work like everyone knew it wouldn't work, found out it didn't work. And they've now had to do a U-turn and start over. And they've actually hired an Apple engineer, which is probably, or sorry, a former Apple executive, which is probably the first smart thing they have done. Uh, in terms of the app, and they're now starting over and they're hoping they might race one out before the winter. Um, so basically they wasted all the time since March until June. But at least they're on the right road. Meanwhile, in New York, the Attorney General is asking Apple and Google to be even harsher in their app stores on apps that do not use the Apple-Google API because they want privacy protection. New York's Attorney General feels that's important. Go figure. <laughs> yeah. And he, so say we all. I mean, I know in the States it's a per state thing in terms of the app, so there's no US app as such. So are either of you guys the States um, doing the app thing? Uh, I don't think so. I, I haven't heard word one about it here, to be honest. Well, if they are, then they're not doing it right, because, of course, the app only works if 60% of people use it. So I guess they're not. Yeah, same here. It's a pity, actually, because with the Bluetooth technology, it's such an easy win. I mean, I know people are saying, oh, yeah, but it won't stop the pandemic. You know, we're not expecting to solve the entire problem with an app. That's, you know, I know app stores are great, but every little helps, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, the other thing that happened then is Apple announced that their Apple camp would be going entirely online to help restore some sanity to houses with unexpectedly many children in them. Uh, and that has now opened for registration. Um, 
And then just a related article caught my eye. There's a nice summary of everything Apple have been doing to respond to the pandemic was written over at the Mac Observer. So I just have a link in the show notes at letsastalk.ie to a nice summary about Apple's response to COVID-19. Um, any any other thoughts before I move us along? No. Notable numbers then. The only one that I thought was worth mentioning, and I don't, I'm not sure I want to dwell on it really, but just to say... Apple crossed another one of those milestone thingies. It does not seem that long ago since we were saying that Apple crossed the one trillion mark and we all were like, ooh. Well, apparently now they've gone another half as good. First ever US company to reach a valuation of 1.5 trillion with a T dollars. So, okay then. Yeah, that's a lot of $1 in-app purchases, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of 30%, which we'll come to later. Yeah. Um, a quick rundown of some changes in Apple staffing and acquisitions. Um, Apple Music have promoted Ryan Newman to head of editorial for the UK and Ireland. He was an existing Apple exec, so he just got a promotion. Apple's VP of Inclusion and Diversity, Christy Smith, has left the company to spend more time with her family. And usually that's a euphemism, but I believe it's actually true. In this, oh, you occasion. think they finally found an executive that actually wants to spend time with their family? <laughs> it would be nice, wouldn't it? I guess the more you diversify, the more that happens when it's not old white men. <laughs> That's it. She's diverse by actually wanting to spend time with her family. Yeah. Uh, Fleet Smith have been acquired by Apple, so they're an, an MDM. Well, we don't we don't call them MDMs anymore. A device management company. So that's interesting. Um, and then Michelle Lee, the Apple TV Plus exec who oversaw The Morning Show, has been promoted to Director of Domestic Programming. So, nice for her. Which then leads us nicely into my Apple original content update. Just a reminder, I know very little about media. I am not interested in media. This is not a media podcast. So this is just a quick rundown of what's going on. The main takeaway is... Apple are really not slowing down on this content thing. Oh, no. So first is just some good news looking backwards. Dickinson has picked up a Peabody Award in entertainment, which is nice. I really must get around to watching that, actually. Uh, Apple then released the first look at its upcoming series, Little Voice. A parenting documentary, Dads, has been released. Julianne Moore will play a billionaire con artist in Shaper or Sharper, sorry, for Apple TV Plus. Apple debuts the teaser for the upcoming drama series Foundation at WWDC. How, how excited am I about that? That looks amazing. <laughs> that looks it so amazing. I remember reading that series when I was twelve, maybe. It, it was just such a game changer for me. Um and after watching all the sci-fi ever since, I've just been like, when is someone going to make foundation? Hmm. And then finally, Apple's going to do it. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad it's someone who's not going to just completely screw it up. And there are lots of books. And then towards the end of his life, Asimov kind of uh, brought in elements of iRobot into the foundation series. So they could just go for for years on this thing um, if they if they make a good thing. And, and obviously, it's not too expensive and doesn't, you know, tank. So, hear me knocking on the wood. Fingers are also crossed. Right. <laughs> um, Apple gives a straight to series order for a murder mystery called The After Party. 
Apple have snagged an, inter- an international thriller called Losing Alice. Apple have released an official trailer for a sports docu-series, Greatness Code. We get a trailer for Boy State, a political coming-of-age story. Uh, Mark Bombach, the showrunner for Defending Jacob, has signed an exclusive deal with Apple. Um, Apple TV Plus has landed Emancipation, which is starring Will Smith. And Apple TV, or Apple have hired Sony Pictures co-president into a new senior role at TV Plus. And then in some related hardware news, um, Apple is going to be releasing minor TV and HomePod upgrades later in the year. Uh, Apple TV is getting Dolby Atmos support on LG Smart TVs. And Vizio says Apple TV is coming to their TVs this summer. So, Eddie, I think we sort of stopped with commentary halfway through. Um, For me, the big thing here is that this isn't slowing down. This is speeding up. There's a lot going on here. Yeah, I can't yeah, wait I'm to wondering. see some of it. Yeah, same here. Charles, are you uh are you did you buy a device or something and get your free Apple TV or are you paying for it or how are you? Uh I got it with like yeah, I I ended up buying one of the Apple TVs when it came, but now I'm paying monthly, I think, because it was a long time ago. Okay. You know, I, I'm I'm li- I'm getting free Apple TV Plus thanks to my iPhone 11. Uh, yeah, that's the iPad Pro is getting me. I had to spend a couple grand to get some to free five dollar per month television, but uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you did also get an iPad though. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I, I'm. I'm. I'm in. I'm still trying to decide whether I will or whether I won't next year. But I think a lot of it depends actually on. You know, the next couple of months, what starts to come out, I think the um, the the big Tom Hanks movie now that's coming out in a few, few days' time, I think that, that'll that be an mm-hmm. interesting one. Um, yeah. If they start doing stuff like that and if, if Foundation is getting close to being released, in fact, if Foundation is getting close to being released, it won't be my choice. My darling beloved will quite simply tell me, tell me <laughs> that we are keeping Apple TV+. Plus. See, that's a good problem to have. My so far, my family has shown zero interest in anything on Apple TV, and I've and I I haven't. I should probably push it more with my daughter. Once my daughter watches something, though, she'll never want to give it up. Uh, But so far, my wife hasn't wanted to watch any of this stuff on there. So I don't know how it's going to go. Chances are, if they're not into it, it's not going to stick around. Yeah, for me, so far, it's been the documentaries I've been watching. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think. As I said, the Tom Hanks movie definitely has me interested, and the Foundation. That's actually, I also watched the Morning Show. I I was kind of impressed, actually. Yeah, um, yeah I I got into it surprisingly. I didn't. I kind of put it off, not really wanting to do it. But after I got the iPad and I got the free trial, I was going through stuff, and I kind of got hooked on it. I got totally hooked in it. I ended up. Like, you know, I said I'll put something on while I'm eating my dinner, and then I ended up, you know, oh, it's two in the morning. Whoopsie. Mm-hmm. All right, fine. I'll watch it. Y'all convince me. <laughs> it's. I mean, I, I've been sort of a fan of Reese Witherspoon for years, and when I heard that she was producing it and that Jennifer Aniston was getting involved, I thought I needed to give it a try, and I'm really glad I did. Um, and also reminded me that although I hate cringy acting, Steve Carell's actually really talented. Correct. That is another thing. I tend not to enjoy a lot of the stuff he's in just because the type of stuff it is. But in this, he's really good. And there's one moment where, not to give too much away, but there's one moment where 
he, you know, you get the sense that he's not all, he's not all there when it comes to his accepting, you know, owning his own actions. Mm. But even, even he is looking at another guy going, well, I'm not you, you know, it, that, yes. that's just great. I that scene, that. that, that scene is actually, yeah, he's, he's very talented. Um, cause he plays a very difficult role. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. You know, a humanizing a sex predator. Eh, not an mm. easy job. No. Okay, so main stories-wise, we have four to digest. Um, it's kind of arbitrary how I chopped this up, but anyway, I've numbered it as four. Um, we have some App Store shenanigans, which led up to WWDC, and then there were some changes announced at WWDC. Then there's a whole load of antitrust clouds hanging on Apple's horizon. Then we jump to the biggest story by far. It wasn't the first in Apple's keynote, but I think it's the biggest story by far, is the move to Apple's own silicon. And then we'll wrap up the main stories with a look at what Apple announced about their operating systems. So without further ado, let us talk about the App Store. Um, At the start of the month, one of the first stories that sort of came into my news feed was just a happy little story that would have gone up in notable numbers. Apple says the App Store contributed $500 billion to commerce in 2019. Cool. And then... Stuff started to happen. Um, we had Pocket Cast getting booted from the Chinese App Store for refusing to censor podcasts. Loads and loads of games getting frozen because of changes in China's uh, policy on games. They need a special license to release a game and a bunch of games didn't have the license. So China said, take them down. And Apple said, sir, yes, sir, because Apple have to follow the law. And then China and India started to get into... Uh, Kind of, sort of, war. Um, not declared, but they do have armies killing each other. Uh, and in revenge, the Indian government decided to ban a whole bunch of Chinese apps. And Apple, again, since Apple has to follow the law, had to remove a bunch of Chinese apps from the Indian app store. And all of that then kind of pales in comparison to the guys at Basecamp releasing a new email app. And Apple letting it in. And then go, oh, do we let that in? Oh, no, we didn't mean to do that. No, you shalt, thou shalt not update your app and release bug fixes. And the CEO of Hey, which is the name of this email service, which actually looks quite interesting. Uh, their CEO is not known for being meek or quiet. So he fairly let rip. And then Phil Schiller did a bunch of media and said, no, we're not changing. And then Apple backed down and changed. Um. So in the end, they managed to hammer out a compromise where Hey would provide free anonymous accounts when you first signed up. And that way the app would work out of the box. And then at WWDC, Apple decided to change the rules for the App Store. So now the first thing which is huge to me because I have always thought it was ridiculous that Apple would hold up a bug fixes and even worse security updates over a problem they have with rule violations. So now when an app is in dispute, the developer can still put out security fixes and bug fixes. They just can't release new features. And that seems eminently reasonable, sane and protective of users. And then the second thing, which to me seems reasonable, not just reasonable, seems like a good idea, assuming Apple actually listen 
developers don't just get to say, no, 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 I don't break that rule. They also get to say, I think that rule is a pile of poop. And so you get to appeal the rule or the ruling on your compliance with the rule. Um, And then also, I guess, in related news, um, I actually had to reread one of these stories a few times to make sure my brain wasn't wrong. But apparently, Apple have rejected a yoga app because it doesn't auto-charge at the end of the free trial. Apparently, Apple's rules are that at the end of the free trial, you need to start charging people. And that just seems really user-hostile and dumb. And I don't understand why Apple are throwing out an app for being nice to customers. And the other story I've just realized I skipped is that Apple are finally doing something that's made me extremely cranky, that in-app purchases did not sync across your family's subscription. So by pushing developers to, to make subscription apps... All of a sudden, my family sharing became quite useless because the mm-hmm. subscription wouldn't share. But that's now been addressed. And then the last it's thing optional, is, though. it'll be that's the thing is like I'm curious to see how many. I believe it's optional, and I don't think developers have to do it. And I'm kind of curious to see how many of the ones that I use will actually do that, and so that it will. Otherwise, we could still wind up to be in the same boat. Well, true, but remember that family sharing itself is optional. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And most developers actually do the sane and sensible thing on that. So I'm hopeful. But you're right. They they could choose to be not helpful. And then the last thing is Apple are being sued over loot boxes because that is considered gambling. And that's not an unreasonable consideration, in my opinion. <laughs> what What's funny to me about that is the suit is a $25 suit. <clears throat> and I've seen people spend 10 or a thousand times that. Yeah. So it's not even a big one. It's like, oh, they just did that to to have the suit, you know? Yeah, Which we need some stuff. Someone needed to, I guess. But, you know, it's it's amusing, the, the amount. That, that is actually a really good 10 point. 10 minutes with an attorney on the phone. <laughs> so. Yeah, that is a good point. They prob- You're probably right. They called up their lawyer and their lawyer said, you got 25 bucks? Yeah, <laughs> go run up a small bill. <laughs> then come yeah. back to me. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about loot boxes, actually. That strikes, you know, Apple Arcade, of course, gets around all of that kind of stuff. But that seems like a a particularly insidious way of monetizing apps. And that's the kind of thing I would like Apple to not allow on their platform. I personally despise the de-democratization of gaming, um, period, in terms of in-app purchases. Like, if if there's a game that has in-app purchases with the exception of like civilization or something where you're just unlocking the full game. Um, hmm. I, I won't touch it. That's so when I you say, do you, do you, what you basically mean is you buying advantage is what you have a problem with. Yes. Quite a bit. I would agree with that. 110%. Actually, that's not gaming. That's giving rich people bragging rights. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No way. And Apple are a better stewards of their app store than most, but there's usually 99% of the time, I feel that Apple's incentives are aligned with mine, which is why I usually feel comfortable on Apple's platform. But when it comes to the app store, I often don't have that feeling like that 30% cut that's driving a whole bunch of competition away from the app store. That doesn't feel like it's in my interest. And that yoga app that refuses to auto-charge me, that doesn't feel like it's in my interest. You know, I 
it's hard for me to speak on some of this because it's really hard for me to understand the real reason that something got blocked from the app store. If it's violating the way that an API is meant to be used, or if it's using a private API, like some of the Google apps did back in the day, and all of a sudden people are like, oh, that's an anti-competitive behavior or whatever, then it's it's hard for me to disassociate the technical side. Like, oh, I wasn't, I, I am abusing an API right now by accident. And if I'm a developer and I didn't know that, then I do need to go back and fix it because there might be some security issue or what have you. Um but then some of these stories, you're like, yeah, they're kind of ask, they're, they're kind of just asking for um, the, they're they're feeding fuel to the fire of kind of the antitrust type, yeah. type of uh, activities that are coming. So and it's, it's really hard to disassociate the two. Like if you're yeah. using an API in the way it's not intended to be used, that that should be blocked you know, period. That's a technical, um, defensible position to take. Um, and I don't, I don't know if the in-app or if the, uh, the ending the trial and kicking into automated is, is a, if it's that, or if it's something else, but that sounds more like that. The other ones don't, if that makes mm. sense. Well, I guess it could be that the API does indeed force you to go to charging them, in which case the API is user hostile and I'm still cranky at Apple. <laughs> now that's a fair statement um but i don't know which is the real you know yeah <laughs> but you're right though especially with people that don't know or don't understand a lot of this stuff apple's doing themselves no favors by having such um inconsistent policies because sometimes they're doing something that seems ludicrous to us and other times they're doing stuff that makes perfect sense and for most people, they're going to lump them all in the ludicrous bucket just because. And, you know, it's not just us that Apple's uh, troubling with their weird policies. It's themselves, too. They're not making life any easier for themselves. And I am going to be interested to see what happens when they have to try to explain this in a court or to a government. Uh, yeah. Exactly why they do the things they do and, and try to get them to make sense of the differences between all these different cases. Yeah, and it's also complicated by the fact that they do need to release their own. Like, so the services is the future. Like, there's, there's no two ways about it. Services is the future of Apple. And that puts them in an awful complicated position because Apple Music has to be, the apps to compete with Apple Music have to come through Apple's App Store. And we don't want to be in a wild west of malware and stuff. So I really, really, really do want Apple to continue to provide a well-curated walled garden. I want them to keep plucking the weeds. But they do need to become better stewards of that walled garden, or they are going to end up with the government forcing them to open the floodgates, which would be worse for me and worse for everyone, in my opinion. And the thing is, no matter what you do, when you're making half a trillion dollars off of app, stuff mm. off of those services there will be lawsuits period it doesn't you know um people see those dollar signs and um and some of them will be warranted and some won't so i don't want to take anything away from the ones that are warranted of course yeah but yeah. but no matter what when you when when you are changing the world by introducing a whole new segment like that it's just you're going to butt up against rules and there will be people with deep pockets that want to stop you, you yeah, know, or slow you down or get part of that. Or, you know, I don't want to indicate any nefarious intentions, but I, I think this is natural and it's just the way it has to be. 
Another issue that's user hostile is indirectly, mind you, is the more capricious Apple is in its implementation of these very woolly guidelines, the less developers are prepared to take a chance, the less developers are prepared to be imaginative and original. Because if you're a little bit too imaginative and a little bit too original, you run the risk of being rejected outright or even worse, like, hey, getting accepted by mistake. Mm-hmm. And then you start to build your business and you're doing a great big media push and you release a subtle little bug update because you're, you know, your users have just found the problem and your bug update gets stopped. Now, thankfully, at least they'll let the bugs through in future. But, you know, you suddenly you think you have a business, you've just bought a whole bunch of ad buys because you've launched your app and then Apple pull the plug, right, you know, pull the rope right out from under you just as you're about to start monetizing your massive investment. Meanwhile, the PR cost of this for Apple and the any legal costs um, probably outweigh what it would have caught for them to go buy them. <laughs> That's also a fair point. Yeah. Um, I guess legal costs doesn't really come into it because they just have their own in-house lawyers. They're just on retainer. You know, they're just, they just work for Apple. But in terms of PR costs, you're absolutely right. And their senior VP of marketing having to go out and defend the indefensible. That's not helpful. Yeah. An opportunity cost from taking people's eyeballs away from, you know, what they really want to be focused on. So yeah, another good point. Any any other thoughts before we transition into the very very related story of antitrust? I think I thought it was really weird if they were going to announce the initiatives regarding the app store review process that they did in WWDC. Mm-hmm. Their response to hey right before that is a little weird. If they knew they were going to do that, it just the whole thing is just weird. It just. I don't get it. Like if they knew that they were going to say, hey, you guys can dispute stuff, but they absolutely did not let hey dispute stuff. It's it's kind of weird. It's like why the drop off point or the why did it have to why did the change have to take place that day? Like why couldn't they have handled the hey thing better? And it's just it, I don't. Well, maybe they weren't planning that. It's possible, but that's a huge thing to suddenly roll out on a dime. Well, I think the, I mean, ultimately, all all they've done is, I mean, what they've announced is policy changes. So you can sort of do that on, it, on, on the, at the drop of a hat because it doesn't involve anything other than changing the, like, it doesn't involve any infrastructure just to say, oh, yeah, you right. can appeal the rule as well as the thing. Oh, oh, yeah. And we won't stop your bug fixes. No, I yeah, I, I get that. But it, what it says to me is somebody like Phil Schiller or whoever was like, nope, we're not changing. And then someone else pulled them aside right before WWDC and said, dude, we're, we can't do this right before WWDC. It's like somebody wasn't getting it and someone else pulled them aside and said, dude, make this problem go away. I don't want to hear about this anymore. Yeah. So which... there's, there's, there's a policy chaos with regard to this inside Apple. Yes. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And if you think about it, who outranks Phil Schiller? There's only one yeah, exactly. person I know. Right. And he's thrilled. Yeah. Cook is thrilled. Yeah, so he's you're right. Mad. Obviously, there must have been a really awkward conversation where Tim Cook went, right, Phil. See that hardline thing you just went and did to the media? Stop it. But yeah. It seems weird to me that Phil wouldn't get it. Phil's been around long enough. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And on the whole, Phil has been a better steward of the App Store than um, Eddie Q was. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, no, it, you're right. It doesn't compute. It, it 
badly managed, very badly managed. So, in terms of antitrust, I have one piece of good news and then then we transition somewhat. Uh, So Apple have been under the spotlight for anti-competitive behavior in South Korea for some time, and they actually managed to get a fairly substantial accommodation, shall we say. Uh, South Korea's Fair Trade Commission is allowing Apple to come up with its own proposed fix and come back to them with it. So instead of them imposing rules on Apple, they've said, Apple, okay, yeah, sure, you guys go off, come back to us with your ideas and we'll see what we think of them. That's progress, I think, for Apple in South Korea. Less so over here in Europe, where we have an extremely proactive European commissioner um, on anti-competitive stuff, and she is quite hostile to large American multinationals anyway. And the fact that we have a major European streaming service like Spotify having been cranky at Apple for some time is certainly not helping. Then in March, we had Rakuten uh, lodge a complaint about ebooks and the 30% commission. And then just a few days before we got official notice that there was an investigation, uh, Kobo, who are a subsidiary of Rakuten, also lodged a formal complaint with the European Commission. So anyway, surprising no one, the European Commission announced that it is uh, opening investigations into Apple. Perhaps the only surprising thing is that it's not one investigation, it's two of them. There are two issues that the European Commission takes issue with. The first is that Apple Pay gets a special place on the iPhone that no no Apple Pay competitors can use NFC in the way that Apple Pay can. And that is particularly causing troubles in places like Germany, where there actually are really viable alternatives that people with iPhones want to use. And then the other issue is, of course, the App Store and the 30% commission. Um, Needless to say, Spotify, we're delighted. We welcome the European Commission's decision to formally investigate Apple. Yeah. Uh, interesting defense from Apple is uh, we're not dominant we're not dominant in any market in Europe is Apple's response we shall see how that floats meanwhile on the other side of the pond Microsoft started off by basically saying I we really think someone should have a look at Apple's App Store there should be a formal investigation followed a few days later by the chair of the House Antitrust uh, Committee saying Apple's 30% cut is highway robbery. Then leaks from the Department of Justice that they are in the final stages of preparing a formal investigation. Uh, Then we get reporting that Tim Cook has agreed to testify before a House Committee on Antitrust. So again, these are lots of different... um, So the DOJ and the House Committee are nothing to do with each other. They're two separate problems for Apple to deal with. And then in the UK, regulators are raising eyebrows about the whopping pile of cash that uh, Google gave Apple to be the primary place search engine on iOS and the Mac, because that makes it really hard for other search engines to compete if you can buy your way to being the default on every iPhone and every Mac, in addition to being the default on every Android device. So I'm curious how people feel about this. This is also far above my pay grade. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I mean, if iOS has a 15% market share, then it's hard to say um, that that uh, they have a dominant position. They've always been a wall of the garden. They've always been closed to some degree, right? So right. some of these things, I, I see both sides, but, you know, I, I don't know what the right answers are. It, it wasn't an issue back on the Mac SE when, uh, when Apple wasn't releasing a ton of APIs or any, and you could, you know, not write software that talked to certain things. And a lot of these things were locked down. Um, they came up with this idea. They, they built it. And, you know, when it comes to, to how those monies are allocated, worked pretty well for a while, but maybe it's time to rethink some of it, I guess. I think my my opinion, I didn't have an issue with Apple taking a 33% cut until they started competing with the people they were taking a 33% cut from. And then that 33% put, cut becomes like a catastrophe. If all music services have to pay 30%, then it's a level playing field. But if all music services except Apple Music have to pay 30%, that's deeply problematic. That is literally anti-competitive. And to me, there's a differentiation between, first of all, 30% is a lot, especially for like smaller developers. But there is a difference between I have an app and people are going to pay a subscription to keep using it. Let's use Drafts 5 as an example. Mm. So now Greg Pierce loses 30% of whatever for a while. And then I think with subscriptions, it, it goes down after a year. It's I don't remember, 15% but... after a year, yeah. So you get to keep right. 70 and then 85%. Right. So the 15%, that sounds fine. But if you're a service and your app is literally just a front for your service that goes on iPhone, mm. and Apple has always said, forget about the web, the apps are a better experience. So they want that. But and I want that. Gonna, yeah, exactly. Everyone wants that. But now if Apple's going to take money for their actual service too. See, I, th- I find that problematic. Why is Apple entitled to money for someone else's actual service, not the app that is usually free, that is the front end of the service? I find that problematic. I don't think Apple's entitled to that money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I guess you could argue either way. But to me, that one is a huge problem. I don't think Spotify should pay 30%. I don't think Netflix should pay 30%. Of course they don't, but you know what I mean? Like people who have a service, that's why the Hay thing was problematic. I don't think Apple had the right to to dip their hand into Hay's pocket for the simple fact that what Hay was charging for was not an app on an iPhone. It, it was for an email service. That's where, to me, it gets really problematic. And I think, I mean, the, the 30% does need to be reviewed anyway, but the we're going to, take money for your service that just happens to have an app that runs on the iPhone. To me, that I don't think Apple really has a leg to stand on. And even if they do, personally, I'm not a fan of that model of of, uh, revenue. I feel like the reason they had to do that, though, was because people would just go that route instead. I mean, obviously, every VC firm wants monthly recurring income these days. So everyone has tried to move from one-time purchases into um, monthly subscription models. And so if that's the direction the whole market's going, then they have to 
dip their hand into that money somehow if they're still going to have that that uh, line item on their on their financials. You know, right? But they could say, if your app is your service, fine, we'll take revenue. If your app is a gateway to a service that runs elsewhere and people can access it in completely other ways, like through the web or on Android or whatever, then we don't have that revenue. Like no one's going to argue that Netflix is an iOS thing. That's crazy. Yeah. But you can argue that Drafts 5 is an iOS thing because it because it is. It's an Apple platform thing. It only runs on Mac and iOS and it is the actual product and you're paying a subscription for it, not for you know, some content that you get through it that you can also access another way. And I mean, credit card processing, you know, having, having your thing be in the app store, having, having Apple push your app to lots of people, it's not valueless. So zero for Apple isn't right either. Correct. But if you look at competing situations, yeah. those prices have been driven down incredibly and it's certainly not 30 bloody percent. Exactly. Yeah. So while Apple are definitely entitled to something, a th- close to a third of everything seems a bit rich. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I, I, I really, 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 really don't see this ending well for Apple in Europe. And by not being proactive about this, they're going to end up in a much worse position, I think. Um, because um, Commissioner Vestager is not messing about. She is Totally serious um, and quite anti-large corporations. Okay, um, moving on to the fun stuff, new things. The long-rumoured transition from Intel-based Macs to Apple Silicon, as they're calling it, has been announced. It is official so developers actually, some of them today, have ARM-based Macs in their hands and are testing their apps. So the transition is very much a deja vu from last time. Um, with um, they're not. I don't think they were as as big on calling them fat binaries. Uh, but basically, Universal Two is exactly the same technology we had before, where all of the assets in an app are just in the app once, but there is some machine code for Intel and some machine code for ARM sharing this, you know, in the same app bundle. So you have the same .app file, which will run on both pieces of hardware. Uh, if you don't recompile your app to make a, a universal binary, then there's a Rosetta 2, which is a smarter version of Rosetta from last time, which will basically intelligently transcode the app from Intel to ARM instructions. And it will, in fact, when you install from the app store, it will preemptively cache a bunch of that translation so that the app will be extremely efficient. And one of the clever things is very low down, but most software calls software libraries. And so what Apple have done is they've recompiled the software libraries and then they relink the unconverted app to the converted version of the libraries. So the only thing they have to emulate then is the bits of the app that aren't calling out to the libraries, which they have recompiled. It's really, really clever stuff going on. Um, And the end result is they were able to demo, you know, 3D rendering and stuff in in Intel compiled running on ARM hardware really, really, really smoothly. Uh, But of course, the big thing is no more boot camp. 
Apple have been extremely clear on that. There will be no boot camp on these um, ARM-based Macs. They think the future is virtualization, which is fine for stuff like Linux. That's perfectly happy to run an ARM. But at the moment, there's a bit of a Mexican standoff with Microsoft because there is a version of Windows for ARM, but it's not particularly well supported even by Microsoft. And Microsoft are refusing to license it. So Apple are like, yeah, if you want to run Windows on a Mac, you have to use the ARM version of Windows. And Microsoft are going, yeah, we're not licensing that. Now, maybe something will change between now and whenever we get these Macs, quote unquote, by the end of the year. But for now, it would appear that if you want to run Windows on your Mac, that's not going to be possible on the ARM-based Mac. Piece of irony here. Uh, Dave Cutler, the guy who writes or who initially wrote Windows NT and and has been kind of at that core of that team. Um, he also wrote Open BMS for ARM back in yeah. uh, the seventies or eighties or whatever that was. So um, to me, that's beautiful irony. Random side note. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, because that is, of course, at the heart of Mac OS. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know if I have a lot to say about that Windows thing except that. I think it was really important for getting people to switch to Mac back in the uh, PowerPC to Intel transition days. Mm, and, it I, was. and I do hear a lot of people bringing up the Windows thing, but I feel like I'm just hearing from the few people that have still have a use case. And I'm curious as to how much difference it actually makes. I I could very well be wrong because I'm living in my own little, I don't care about Windows on <laughs> Mac bubble. However, I feel like, it seems like a big deal, and it's really not that big of a deal. I, I could be wrong. No, I, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, I, I can say I go to a lot of big companies, and when the Mac was first moving over to Intel, it was a great way to open the door into those enterprises. And now that they're in the enterprises, I, I think we've gotten beyond, oh, run Parallels or run Bootcamp. And we've gotten into a place where everything's more SaaS type oriented. There's a lot more web portals or apps that are running things. So I think we've gotten past that that kind of fat client mentality in general. Well, even when we haven't gotten by the fat client, we've gotten we've gotten to the idea where there is no an app. There's a suite of apps, right? Because of Android and iOS. We now expect that if you have an app for your service, you will have a Windows app, a Mac app, an iOS app, and an Android app. And so if you have an iOS app, an Android app, a Windows app, and a Mac app, it doesn't matter that the Mac can't also run the Windows app because, well, you have a Mac app. So I actually don't think this is even half as big a deal. And the fact that these Macs will be able to run iOS apps natively is mm-hmm. probably more of a pull than the failure, the, the inability to, to run Windows apps. Because there's actually a lot more happening in terms of iPad and iOS apps than there is in terms of Windows apps, frankly. Absolutely agree. Yeah. So Another thing to say, a lot of people were like, why didn't Apple mention ARM? Why are Apple always talking about Apple Silicon? But ARM have a very marginal involvement in what Apple are doing here because ARM are a very, very, very different company to Intel. Um, So ARM purely have intellectual property. They do not have a factory. And so you, they have an instruction set, which is just a list of basically it's the language, the CPU speaks. 
And so x86 is the language Intel stuff speaks, or x86-64. And ARM have their own language for their CPUs. And so you can license that language. And then they also have standard chip designs. And so you can license a design of a chip from ARM. Um, But you don't have to. You can just license the language and make your own chips entirely from the ground up. Just design everything yourself. And that's what Apple are doing. Yeah. So it really is a case that they have licensed a little bit of intellectual property from ARM that specifies what is effectively a standard API and everything else they're doing themselves. So it really is Apple Silicon. It really isn't an ARM CPU they're buying in. They're making this stuff. And they have a team who are extremely good at this because this is the secret sauce that has made the iPhone what it is, what has made the Apple Watch even possible. And it's the same secret sauce, frankly, that makes it possible to have AirPods be teeny, teeny, tiny little computers in your ears. So they're really leveraging on something they've become extremely good at here. And so we should expect Macs that manage to have their cake and eat it, as in be both fast, not burn the lap off you, and have massive battery life, um, which is not really possible with Intel, which are just these... I mean, I jokingly say that we don't need to run the central heating in our house because myself and the better half each have Intel central heating in our rooms. You know, in retrospect, I'm surprised that considering the great job they've been doing with the CPUs that are in all our iOS devices, I'm surprised that Apple didn't do this earlier. But it's kind of imperative with the Mac that they they have to message it this way. They they don't want people to be confused. Hmm. I think actually the end of support for 64-bit was actually step one of this last year. Yeah. Because we already lost the apps that we're going to lose. And so this won't be nearly as problematic, so we'll give much less bad PR. Yeah, I I think now that they're going to put them in Mac, they have to get people to understand that these aren't your your grandfather's arm chips, but I think they, I bet I am surprised that they didn't do it before because they have been doing an outstanding job of designing their own stuff. And they, they have been far ahead of everybody else using arm. And they have been signaling this in the sense that the, I mean, is it the last two iPad launches or iPad pro launches where they've been benchmarking their iPad pros against laptops mm-hmm. and yes. saying they outperform, you know, laptops, which is a really big hint, hint, nudge, nudge. We're about to do this on our laptop. launch. <laughs> Right. Okay. Uh, any other thoughts? I think I think we're all excited about this. Is the reading of the room I'm getting? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's right for Apple, and I think it'll. I don't think the customers will. I think customers will eventually benefit from them because I think that they'll have a more integrated Mac the way they have more integrated iOS devices in terms of stuff that Apple can offer in in their devices in their mm-hmm. computers. Yeah, I, I think we. I think this is going to become a really big topic later in the year when Apple show us what they can do. Because these developer machines, they're just iPads in a Mac Mini case. This isn't the final product. This isn't even vaguely the final product. So when they actually release a real Mac that has these advantages, that's when I think we can have a really interesting conversation about what this really means for the future. At the moment, it's yeah. it, you know there's a lot of potential here, but I'm I want to see what they do with it. Mm-hmm. Mine will be here tomorrow. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. Yay! So I guess that means you'll be running all the betas and stuff of the software we're about to talk about. H- have you already been running some of these betas? 
I have been, yes. Excellent. That makes this conversation so much more fun. Um, So... Apart from, you know, so Apple actually started their Worldwide Developer Conference by telling us about all of their OSs, and then they told us about the switch to Apple Silicon. Um, so really, I think, so new version of iOS, new version of iPadOS, new version of macOS, which is going to 11, Big Sur, new version of watchOS, and a vague mention of some future stuff for the Apple TV and the HomePod sometime in the vague later future. Um, One of the things that sort of struck me is that a lot of the stuff wasn't specific to any one operating system. It was actually the Mac and iOS and iPadOS. It, it, it was very, cro- very, very cross-platform and also a massive focus on privacy and not just within, you know, as a side note within each discussion, but it actually got a sectional by itself. And... The OSs are still in beta, and it's already had a real impact because one of the new features is that the clipboard, if you if something on iOS reads the clipboard, you get a wee notification saying, this app just read your clipboard. And with people like yourself running the betas, they were getting these notifications and stuff like TikTok, every third character you typed, or LinkedIn was doing it every three seconds or something, and Reddit was doing it at a stupid rate. Well, all those apps and I said, oh, sorry, we didn't mean to do that. We didn't mean to be spying on your clipboard. Uh, we stopped now. And so that's a, a big privacy win just straight out of the gate already. It is. It's a little tricky, though, because some apps have a valid reason for checking your clipboard. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to differentiate. Like I've seen comments from people on, oh, such and such an app is doing it, too. And it's like, yeah, but they, they actually had a reason because people do pass stuff to that app all the time. And the way for that app to look for that is to look on the clipboard. Things that do stuff with URLs, well, yeah, they're going to look at the clipboard to see if you're passing it a URL. So it is a win. I'm not saying it's bad, mm. but there are also some apps that are doing it for valid reasons that are going to have people questioning them, and, and really they're not doing anything nefarious. But they should yeah. have a good answer but, for it. And the thing is, there's a difference between doing it every third keystroke and... Yeah, 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 definitely. You know, when you switch to the app, because uh, Paprika, my recipe app of choice, checks the clipboard when you switch to it. So it doesn't check it right. all the time, but when you switch to the right. app, it checks the clipboard in case you have the URL to a recipe that you might want to import. Mm-hmm. And I won't be getting even vaguely cranky when, when I see a notification saying, oh yeah, Paprika checked your clipboard once as I switched to it. But I would get cranky if every third keystroke I got a pop-up. Um, Charles, no, I'm, I'm using... Oh, sorry. I, I was just going to ask Charles. I, I'm using... Both I'm using iPad OS and iOS betas, and I have only seen a couple apps where it kind of spams me with it. I've seen more where it just gives me one notification and then I don't really notice it. Has that been your experience also? That's been my experience. I, I tap on it once and it doesn't bug me again. Uh-huh. Right. But then if it's an app that I know I want communicating because I I'm deep linking to something, um, right. I'm gonna tap it. And if it's something presumably nefarious, you know, I wouldn't, I, I've always been suspect of TikTok to be perfectly honest, but I would never be (laughs) suspect about LinkedIn, (laughs) oddly enough. So there you go. Yeah. um, Another interesting one on the privacy point is that Apple proactively chose not to implement 16 web APIs in Safari due to privacy concerns. Um, And that's probably the right choice. Most of these APIs aren't implemented by Firefox either. Um, Google just seems to love 
putting out APIs to let the browser do like anything it wants. And it seems very dangerous, actually, because basically what you end up is fingerprinting. Um, they also made people much crankier by adding more proactive ad tracker blocking and transparency, where they basically tell you who they're blocking so that you can actually see what's going on on a website. And the, the ad industry relies on ignorance. They've built a business model on hoodwinking people. And Apple are basically saying, tell you what, here's a little bit of sun sunlight. Let's see what people really think about your business model. And the ad industry are going absolutely nuts. You're right. destroying us. It's like, yeah, well, you shouldn't have built a business model on lying to people. And they get very self-righteous when people use ad blockers and stuff. But if they're really... If they really have the right to be that self-righteous about it, they should not be engaging in shady practices. Like, don't give me a reason to not want you on my stuff. And usually it's mm -hmm. not because I'm anti-ad so much as I'm anti-malware and anti-tracking. Mm. That's that's what I'm against. Show me your bloody ad, but don't. But make sure you're not putting malware on my computer because you can't guarantee that because you're using some generic ad network or whatever. Also yeah. in Apple's defense, the retargeting is out of control. Like if you search for something on YouTube yeah. and then Facebook lists eight ads in a row of that thing that you were just searching for on some other website or Amazon, like that, that ability to retarget and follow yeah. across yeah. different apps and or um, websites is to me just, it's just gotten to a point where it's an untenable anymore. It's yeah. creepy. And what creeps me out the most is when I do stuff on the web and then I go to YouTube and all of a sudden I see a video recommendation for something related to that, that for some reason that going in that direction, that's weird to me. Like I, okay, you're watching what I'm doing. That's when it really hits me. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you're using YouTube as an app, because then you realize that this isn't confined to my browser. This, this Correct. is everywhere. Yeah. And I just want to throw something out there. If I search for and buy <laughs> on one website, a lawnmower, chances are I don't need any ads for a lawnmower for four or five years. Just throw I know. that out there or 20. Like, why do you have to show me ads for lawnmowers for the next month? I already yeah. bought one. Yeah, I'm not you know? good at it. Yeah. So if you're going to creep tracking, on me, not good at, yeah. right, creep all the way if you're going to creep. Just saying. And as, as I say, the fact that what seems to be making everyone the most cranky is that people are now aware of this practice. Well, if your business model was relying on people not being aware of what you were doing, you're being shady. Like That's just flat out, auga, auga, you're up to no good. Mm -hmm. um, so as well as the privacy thing, then, like I said, there's a lot of harmonization going on across the OSs. So for a long time, the Messages app and the Maps app on the Mac were these terribly shoddy pale imitations of the apps on iOS. Well, that's now all gone. And instead, we have proper implementations coming on Big Sur of both Messages and Maps. And in fact, both of those are getting quite a bit of TLC from Apple. So we have threading and inline responses coming to Messages. And then in terms of Maps, just clever stuff like cycle routing, EV navigation. The shiny new Map experience is coming to Ireland, UK and Canada. Um, I, I very rarely get to be mentioned in these things. Um, we also have clever stuff like the AirPods automatically switching between device. So if you click play on a video on your Mac, your AirPods will jump over to the Mac and clever stuff like that. Um, 
And one bit of um, potentially reducing Apple's exposure to anti-competitiveness, because another company that's been very cranky with Apple is Tile. Uh, and they may be a bit less cranky now because Apple are opening up fine to my to third party products. So hopefully stuff like Tile will be able to just integrate into your Find My app, which would be very useful for end users. So I'm actually at this stage, like I'm assuming people sort of know what the big features are in, in the OSs. So maybe rather than trying to list through them, if we just sort of say what excites us about the other OSs. So, I mean, who who would like to kick off on 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 that, or do you want me to go first? Yeah, you can go first. I'll set the yeah. scene then. So, uh, the thing I was saying before the keynote, the thing I really really wanted was for my iPhone to stop pretending it's a phone. I don't make phone calls. I don't want to receive phone calls. I don't really want a phone. I just want a computer in my pocket. And when you send me a message, it's just a little subtle notification and I can swipe it out of the way. But when the phone rings, it's it, it's in my face. Not anymore. The phone is now no more of an annoyance than an iMessage or whatever coming in. So that is absolutely fantastic. Uh, one of the things that makes me the most cranky most often is that when I'm listening to podcasts while trying to cook, um, Siri keeps on thinking the podcast is talking to her. And my recipe vanishes in this giant big black screen with a massive transcript of the most recent podcast episode when I, I should be figuring out whether I want tarragon or thyme. Um, and so now Siri is going to be just a little popover thing sitting in the bottom corner of my screen instead of a complete takeover. So thank you, Apple, for that. Um, there is the potential for app clips to make things really interesting and then the big, 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 big standout for me is widgets on the home screen because I really like widgets, but I really, really hate how hard they are to get to at the moment. And I am going to have so much better use of my home screen when I can put my few widgets I want on the home screen. And then the app library means that pages two, three, four, five, six of my phone that I that are just a dumping ground can go away and they can go into the app library. So what's exciting you guys then? I'm with you on the widgets. Uh, I've missed them since they went away the first time. Uh, they're not Java anymore, so I don't know if I'll be able to write them, but uh, I, I'm pretty excited to get widgets back. Yeah. Um, I guess some other cool stuff that I think is worth highlighting is that something that just strikes me as very Apple is the sound recognition thing where you can tell your phone to listen, not just for the magic hey lady phrase, but to, to have the that the fact that the phone is listening anyway, to, to use that to, to listen out for sounds that are important for someone who could be audio impaired, like, say, the sound of a smoke alarm or the sound of a doorbell or the sound of a dog barking or the sound of running water. Um, and then you can get a little notification for someone who has audio impairments to say there, there is a dog barking, there is water running, the robot has just rung, there is an alarm, run away. Um, that just strikes me as extremely cool. Um, and another one that strikes me as very cool is the fact that the pencil is going to become so much more powerful on the iPad with basically, you could just pick up your Apple Pencil or even the crayon from Logitech 
and write in a text box, any text box, any time, just write in the text box. That's what a pencil is for. I think that's brilliant. Yeah, I've actually been using that on my iPad quite a bit, and it works really well. It took, It's taking me a little bit to get used to being fast with it, especially mm-hmm. if it interprets something wrong or I make an error and I want to get rid of it. I, I kind of, at first, I was bringing up the keyboard to fix that. Now I kind of understand how to do it with the pencil. That is just a me thing. But in general, it works really well, and I'm impressed with how well it works when I switch between my terrible... Um, straight handwriting versus my terrible cursive and illegible in either, but it does a really good job of figuring out what I'm doing. And I wish their I wish their dictation was as good as their their handwriting interpretation. Quite honestly, well, that's really promising because my handwriting's atrocious and I hate talking to my device. But I quite like the concept of using my pencil more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like. I'm also on board with the widgets. And then the other thing that I really enjoy from the iOS side of it is is, is the app library. So what I did is it's it, you know, the categorization is a little different than what I would manually do for folders. But uh, I found that it actually surfaces stuff really intelligently. And so what I've done is I have I have three widgets on my home screen, and I've got uh, twelve apps or something like that. Then I've got two folders in my dock and two apps beside those. And then I've turned off all my other screens. So the only way to get to my other stuff is search, which works really well, or mm-hmm. app library, which again is like like I was saying, the three icons that it shows you in each folder that are immediately tappable versus you going into the folder. It does a really good job of bringing up what I want at any given time. So for me, I'm really happy with it because. Now, instead of having to slide across several screens to get to Apple Library, I just have to slide across one. And it's really made the iPhone nice because I slide one way and I get the widgets, or I'm on my home screen, or I slide the other way and I have App Library. And I'm really liking that experience. This sounds really good because my experience at the moment is I anything not on my front screen I search for. And mm-hmm. those Siri suggestions, those four icons it finds... They are very often correct. So if I could just have those as a widget on my home screen, uh-huh. that would be great. And I believe that's possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you can, with the widgets, you can create your own stacks. Like they have smart stacks with mm-hmm. with pre-built choices that you can choose from certain things. But you can also make your own stacks just by creating multiple widgets over in the widget section and then dumping them on top of each other in, on the home screen. And that way you have your own stack with specifically the widgets that you want. So you could do it with shortcuts. So that you, you could have different shortcut groups as widgets, stack them on top of each other, and then just scroll through those different shortcut folders to, to get to the ones you want. Stuff like that is really powerful and cool. Oh, that sounds really efficient on space. So, so immediately what leaps to my mind is I have three widgets stacked below each other at the moment because no one weather app seems to be able to tell me everything I need to know. There's like one app provides a really good real-time radar image so I can see where it's raining. And another app provides a really good visualization of the wind so I can see what direction I want to cycle in. And another app gives me a really good representation of the current temperature and that kind of stuff. And so I basically end up with these three widgets. But they're right. a perfect stack. A, yeah, you can make a super weather stack for yourself. If they, you know, assuming all three of those apps supports the new widget format. Well, if they don't, they'll soon be replaced with ones that do. Because <laughs> I, I am very, very keen on getting stuck into those widgets. So any app developer listening who wants to keep my business, make your app do stack, do uh, do widgets. Um, so one of my steps in testing all the new things is I'll restore 
um, one of my devices and then I'll upgrade it. That way I see kind of a real world-ish example of, of what's going to happen. And I found that, um, that this new layout allowed me to very quickly find apps I didn't want anymore. So that was cool. Ooh. I should really yeah. clean up my phone, actually, because I have apps that I never use. Yeah, me too. And it never occurred to me to actually bother to clean it up because I just buy a phone with more space every time I run <laughs> yeah. down, basically. <laughs> but yeah. then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, look, there's there's a whole a whole segment of apps that I just don't use that kind of thing anymore. You know? Yeah, that is true. So. Yep. Um, one that's going to make a small number of extremely vocal people less vocal is the fact that you can now set a default email client and web browser. Um, I don't think that's many people, but goodness me, were they making a lot of noise the past couple of years. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, take... being able to set a default web browser, I think, for schools where they use lockdown web browsers and stuff like that, that to me makes makes a little bit of sense having okay. worked with some of those. So, And I guess if you're in the corporate world, having Outlook take over the role of being default mail app makes sense too. Yeah, I haven't, even though I do use Office 365 for, for two of the companies I work with, I, I still haven't moved over to Outlook. I'm I'm still a male person. I, I've decided, so because of COVID, I, I'm doing a lot more stuff on my phone that's work-related, but I've decided I want a really clear demarcation. So I've intentionally kept my personal email and mail.app and my work email in Outlook. And so I actually want to keep the default at personal. But if I had a corporate-owned iPhone, I would definitely want Outlook to take over because Outlook is actually a much better experience for Office 365 than Mail and Calendar. Yeah, I use Outlook on my Mac, just not on my iPhone. So maybe I'll have to give it a shot again. Every time I've just gotten annoyed and gone back, so... I'm the exact inverse because I hate it on the Mac. So on the Mac, I use Fantastical and mail that app. But on the iPhone, it's actually gotten really good. It got really good about, it might be a year and a half ago, they did a complete rewrite. And it's just not the horrible app you remember. It It, it is a nice app these days. I'm sold. I'll try it again. <laughs> yeah, give it a go. And the other thing, actually, another little bonus tip. Um, So Microsoft still release Excel and Word, and PowerPoint for iOS. They also now release an app just called Office, which gives you all three in one app. And that's actually a much better experience. It's a better, more modern app than the three separate apps. So you can actually go and delete the three standalone apps and download the the United app, and you will actually have a better experience as well. Nice. Um, we should probably mention watchOS. Um Apple are introducing sleep tracking, but it's very minimal sleep tracking, and I didn't know what to make of it. Uh, and then I read an interview that CNET did with Kevin Lynch, who's the main Apple Watch guy. And having read his explanation of why Apple is doing what it's doing, I get it. They're only showing you information you actually can action, and they're only showing you information that they're extremely certain is accurate. So instead of following a lot of the trackers down the road of giving you a false sense of accuracy by showing you all of these detailed pieces of information, they can't really have calculated based on the limited input you can get from a wrist device. They're only showing you the stuff they know for sure, and they've backed it up with sleep studies, which is interesting. Um, And also the hand-washing detection is just... What a cool thing to do in these COVID times. It's just 
thank you, Apple. That's that's nice. Yeah. I'm pretty excited about the sleep detection. I've been wearing a, a Fitbit and an Apple Watch for a long time because I of the sleep tracking on the Fitbit. Mm. And hopefully I can now only wear one device. So mm. may I give I may I give you some very expensive advice. May I spend some of your money? Um, because I have a history of sleep apnea, um, which I'm currently over. So by the way, if you have sleep apnea, you don't necessarily have it for life. If the doctor says lose weight and this might go away, they're not lying. If you lose the weight, it actually can go away and I'm proof. Um, but I still want to keep an eye in case it returns. Um, so rather than instrumenting myself, the approach I've taken is to instrument the bed with one of the Withings sleep tracking mats that you slip under your mattress. And that is actually able to detect far more information far more accurately than any of the wrist-worn devices do. And it involves zero effort on your part. You basically slip the thing under your mattress once and forget about it. And it magically beams the information to your phone every day without you having to do anything. You don't have to turn it on. You just get into bed and it goes, oh, there's someone in the bed. I shall start recording. Um, it's perfect. It's designed actually to work on double beds. So you'd slip one under each side if you both want to track or only on one side if you don't both want to track. I sort of assume most couples always have a side of the bed that's theirs. If you don't, I guess you'd have to. But other than that... <laughs> Uh, but it actually works extremely well, but it is, I guess it's no more expensive than a Fitbit, so maybe I'm not spending that much of people's money. But it, I think it's it's an interesting approach to instrument the bed instead of instrumenting the person. Mm-hmm. And then just some small things um, with watchOS that caught my eye. Uh, support for DRM audio, which means it becomes possible for streaming music apps to come straight to the watch. So particularly if you have a cellular watch, you could actually end up being able to listen to Spotify without needing your phone nearby, which could be quite useful. And also the the watch will develop the ability to run shortcuts locally on your actual watch without the need for your phone. So again, the watch becomes more powerful when it's away from its phone companion. And then one that makes me marginally sad is goodbye force touch. You're going developers are going to have to expose their fancy functionality in a more visual way because force touch has been deprecated. Mm-hmm. Any final thoughts on the OSs from you guys, or have we covered it quite well? I have a question. No, go go ahead. I was just going to say, my main impression is that they're very solid betas. They didn't talk about performance and stability, but these betas definitely seem to have them at a very early stage. And the other thing is just I am really enjoying the experience of both of them. I think that the updates to both iPadOS, and I use my iPad Pro a lot, but both the updates to iPadOS and iPhoneOS are, are, sorry, iOS are really good, and I'm really enjoying them. I I kind of enjoy using these devices more than I ever have at this point. So I think think they're doing well. Well, for a developer beta that hasn't even made public beta, that's very reassuring to hear. Mm Mm-hmm. Because that was actually going to be the question I was actually going to ask, because this time last year, everyone was saying how crash happy uh, iOS 13 was. And so you're saying iOS 14 is not like that. That's right. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> it's yeah, I haven't found it to be either. Um, although the autocorrect 
hasn't gotten any better. That, that true. I, that's right. I would yeah. love better autocorrect. <laughs> and that's what that's what blows my mind is if they can do so well with the scribble with the pen input. What is their problem with autocorrect? Maybe I mean, it just needs to be re-implemented. Maybe they're basically that was one of their first pieces of intelligence, and maybe that code base has a lot of legacy yeah, baked in. That could be. Because now we have these chips, like our devices have machine learning chips on board. So they should be able to farm a lot of that stuff out to the neural engine and it should be getting better. Yeah, I suspect isn't. that they brought some code in from, from the Newton, you know. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen any egg freckles yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Anyway. Uh, let's wrap up the show with some quick stories that have made the news, you know, that they made the news in June, but they weren't big enough to warrant being one of our main stories. Um, so world's smallest violin, Apple are going to discontinue iTunes U and iBooks author, um, presumably because they don't want to update them for ARM, um, is my guess. They announced those deprecations just before WWDC. Uh, also, some minor hardware tweaks. Uh, 16-inch MacBook Pros get some new graphics cards options. According to benchmarking, they are very good. They are not cheap, but they are very good. Speaking of not cheap, if you want an even better graphics card in your Mac Pro, you can now stick a Radeon Pro W55000X, which is apparently a really shiny GPU, into your really shiny Mac Pro. Uh, we had heard so many rumors about car key that I actually almost left it out of the show notes completely because it wasn't news. And then I realized I don't cover rumors. So as far as this show is concerned, we've never heard of car key before. It's gone from rumor to fact. It was announced at WWDC. It's BMW only for now. And actually, BMW have updated their app in anticipation of iOS 13.6 when car key will apparently start working. Back to school time. You get free AirPods if you buy certain Mac stuff. Uh, and new colors for Apple Watch and Apple Bands. And if you live in either the United States or Canada, you can now do an in-store trade-in on Apple hardware when you're buying new hardware. And then finally, news broke just, I think it was yesterday or maybe the day before, basically very recently. Apple are surveying a random smattering of customers asking whether or not they use the USB charger that it came in the box with their iPhone 11. So all these rumours from Ming-Chi Kuo that there's going to be no charger in the box for the iPhone 12, they seem a lot more plausible now. What do you guys think? Uh, Would you be sad if the next iPhone had no no power block in the box? I don't know. I, yeah... Go ahead. Yeah, I got nothing on this one, to be honest. I, I just normally take whatever Apple gives me. <laughs> yeah, see, I don't use the little ones that come in there, I've realized. I always have an upgraded charger. And I don't know how typical that is, but I usually have an upgraded charger and I usually have a multi-port charger. And so I find that for me personally, it won't matter, but I I don't know. Like I look at what my the rest of my family does. My daughter has an upgraded charger that she uses because she uses the same one for both her iPad and her iPhone, but my wife uses the default one for her iPhone. So I don't really know how much this will affect most people, but I suspect that a good portion of people don't need to have another one come in the box. And maybe I just never thought about it before. Yeah. So it's, for me personally, I, I, I'm perhaps a little too organized, you know, this, you know, 
AOR will be the acronym that springs to mind. Um, so I have a box on my shelf labeled Apple Chargers. It's full. They need to stop giving me more chargers I don't use. Um, and I know the European Union are very keen to stop e-waste, or to, not to stop it, mm-hmm. but to, to minimize e-waste. And this just seems like an easy win. It's like USB-shaped things to plug into. We have those. So stop sending a charger in every box. Yeah, it makes sense to me. I actually really hope that the survey... Well, I guess they're surveying people, so I guess they'll know, and then they can make an informed decision. But I imagine well, when they announce that there's going to be no charger in the box, they'll have a slide that says, and 80% of people were happy with that. Which yeah, is- but it sounds like if people aren't happy with it, they can just contact you, Bart, and you'll be able to provide one. Well, for a while anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, my stock will eventually run out, but for now, yes. And I've I have to- the same box, so I'll take I'll take your leftovers after <laughs> after you're out. <laughs> yeah, and it's not even that they're all in the box because I've I, I started trying to get rid of the box. So every backpack has a charger in it permanently. Using the wonderful cocoon gridded system, by the way. I love those things. So we have, because of medical reasons that I don't want to go into on air, there is a hospital bag permanently packed in this house. And that hospital bag has one of every Apple charger in it, because even in case of medical emergency, you need your iPhone charged and your watch charged and your iPad charged. So there's there's one of each charger in the hospital bag. There's one of each charger in my laptop bag. There's one of each charger in my partner's bag. There's one of each charger in the kitchen. There's one of each charger in every bedroom. And still, my box has chargers. (laughs) It's enough already. (laughs) Folks, thank you ever so much for giving up so freely of your Sunday afternoons, I presume, for you guys. It's evening for you. I guess it's afternoon for you guys. Pleasure having both of you on. Before we round out the show... um, I just want to let the listeners know that there are detailed show notes at lets-talk.ie. When you go there, you'll also see some big buttons under a heading support the show. I want to thank everyone who has supported the show and who continues to support the show. It is very much appreciated. There are no ads on this show. This show is 100% listener supported. It exists because you guys support me. And that support comes in two very important forms. You tell other people about the show and spread the word, and that is extremely valuable. And some of you who can afford it and who are not suffering at these difficult times choose to contribute financially, and that is also very useful. Um, There are two ways to do that. For larger one-off donations, PayPal is the most efficient way. But for a small recurring payment, PayPal is really inefficient because basically all the money goes to PayPal and none of it makes it to me, and that's not what you want. And that doesn't help me very much. So to get around that, there's a wonderful service called Patreon, and they provide a mechanism that allows for efficient donation of small dollar amounts. Basically, you pledge an amount per podcast. I will release exactly two every month, one Apple, one photography. So if you would like to give me $5 a month, pledge two fifty. If you would like to give me $2 a month, pledge $1. You get the idea. And... Where I want to be at is that every month when the bills come in, the Patreon money fills the bills, and that's approximately where we are. So thank you to all the Patreon supporters. And the PayPal money is what allows me to buy new software, buy new mics, buy a boom arm for my mic, those kind of things. So again, thank you very much for all of the PayPal donations over the years. Folks, your donation is of your time and is extremely valued, so... Please tell the listeners where they can get more of your wonderful content. Um, 
me see. Go in reverse order from the introduction. So, Scott, where can people find you online? Uh, my website is scottwilsey.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-W-I-L-L-S-E-Y. And I do some podcasting these days on BubbleSort at bubblesort.show with Vic Hudson and Clay Daly. And Bubblesort uh, TV occasionally. And that's about it. And Twitter at AW if you're into uh, that kind of talk. Send me along the link to that podcast and I will include it in the show notes so people can click on it. And I will also correct the spelling of your name in my show notes, which is one T short, I've just noticed. So that will be fixed before people see it. My apologies. And Charles, where can people listen to more of your excellent content? Um, The easiest way to find my stuff is cryptid.com, K-R-Y-P-T-E-D.com. I normally just post the other things that I'm working on there whether it's the History of Computing podcast, probably a link to this episode, or the Mac Admins podcast. So, Excellent. Okay, folks, thank you very much. I've been your host, Bart Bouchard. So you can find me at bartb.ie. And until next month, happy computing. You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Some people like their live casts to be informative, to the point, provocative, and timely. The Mac to the Future live cast is some of those things, but we won't say which ones. Join Dave Ginsberg, Guy Searle, and Warren Sklar for a weekly dose of Apple Fun every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time over on Facebook or in the Mac to the Future Facebook group.